Welcome to Changing the Way People Feel About Insurance with FWD. My name's Fiona Mattesini, and on this podcast, I'm talking to Troy Barnes, FWD's Group Chief Transformation and Integration Officer, and the man who sits at the top of all things customer experience. On this podcast, we covered a lot of ground, including emerging behaviours from insurance customers today. The power is with the customer. I have choice, and my choice is now unsubscribe. We also discussed one of Troy's big areas of focus. I think customer attention has been a big blind spot in the CX space. And we dived into next generation insurance. We believe there are other services out there beyond paying back a claim. Like I said, a lot to cover. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. Troy, it's a real pleasure to be able to talk to you about such a fascinating growth area. But um, interestingly, when I was talking to a friend of mine about recording this podcast with you, she said, what CX? I was just wondering, how do you describe to your non-corporate friends what it is that you do? Great question, Fiona. And it's one of those terms that's commonly misunderstood. Mm. In its simplest form, customer experience is nothing more than the perception a customer has of any interaction they have with an organisation or a brand. Right. Now, to a non-corporate person, that's probably still a little bit gobbledygook. (laughs) So I just try and put in real terms. You know, you go in to buy some groceries, you walk out, you've just had an experience. How was it? Right, yeah. Or you go and buy a T-shirt from a clothing store or a pair of shoes. Or you go to watch a football match. You know, you've had an experience with an organization, a location or someone responsible for providing that. Mm. And and it puts real quick context into, ah, so what you're telling me is it's someone else's. That's the key thing for me. It's not what we think it is internally. It's what someone else perceives it to be. That then draws that line into that sort of outside in view of the world. Yeah, that's a really, really good way of putting it, actually. I mean, CX is the undisputed growth engine for insurance. So again, just being curious, when you first joined FWD last summer, what were your honest first impressions of the embedded culture of the business when it comes to really and genuinely focusing on the customer? Yeah, I have to tell you, really pleasantly surprised There are so many organizations around the world in a whole array of industries that promote or use taglines around the customer. And there's always this question mark on how how much of that is skin in the game versus customer, a placeholder on a strategy deck or a presentation. Mm. For FWD, I was really enlightened, you know, from day one up till now, and I'm sure moving forward, it is genuinely at the core of everything we do. It's spoken from the top down, it really is the true north and underpins the vision of the organisation, you know, changing the way people feel about insurance is Mm. largely around the customer. And it was, I have to say, one of the big ticket items for me joining the organisation, if I may be totally transparent, in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you say in another podcast, actually, that while it's tempting to join a company and immediately try and create that six foot wave, it's really important not to undervalue the power of a lot of small ripples. I mean, that's a very interesting way of putting it. Tell me about the philosophy behind that statement. Yeah, I think joining any new company as experienced as anyone can be, I think it's really important first to get your feet on the ground and understand the state of play. Mm. and sort of a good sense of where the business is and where people perceive the business to be. That gives you some really good inroads to try and understand 
where can we get some early momentum? Don't underestimate the importance of getting some early quick wins on the board. And those early quick wins really get yourself moving and get people aligned nice and early in the journey. Yeah, and reassure them that you're on the roadmap, everything's moving in the right direction. I mean, can you give me an example of uh, one of your early quick wins? Yeah, that's been a, a really exciting one. And one of the things that's a challenge for many CEOs is how do we keep line of sight and our finger on the pulse and what's happening without getting staff to have to fill in, you know, maniacal amount of PowerPoint templates and Excel files and all these other kinds of things. We had a team that over the course of about three and a half months looked at one of our strategic pillars and we now have a dashboard where six of the nine metrics are sourced to dashboard. We don't have a finger on them in every one of the nine markets. So if Fong or Sim, one of the CEOs, wants to have a look at how did I perform yesterday, click of a button. And now we're turning numbers into value for the customers so that they feel better about being a customer of FWD. Yeah. A slightly different question, but I think a very interesting one is there's attracting new customers and then there's retaining the old ones. What's your focus and do these two demand a different approach or mindset? Yeah, I'll answer the second one first. They do. They do require different tactics because the approach to acquiring someone who doesn't have an affinity with the brand, who may not know the brand so well, or who may be with one of your competitor brands, the approach of the tactics to try and get them to connect and obviously be a customer of FWD versus we have already an engagement or relationship with the brand. How do we make sure that that sticks? And most importantly, that that customer values that relationship. And I think customer attention has been a big blind spot in the CX space. There's so much an emphasis on acquisition, but when you start to put the financials around what it is when we lose customers, you know, you really start to draw light upon this. And the cost of retaining customers versus acquiring is so less. So CX, it's a huge space and we could talk all day about trends, but could we talk about some of these specific CX trends that you're focused on for FWD or or what your focuses are specifically for FWD? Yeah, this is, again, for me, very much a a journey piece. It's sort of steps to get towards that long-term goal, aspiration you want to for all customers in all products and services you provide. The first thing for me, which is a, a hygiene factor, is consistency. It's not about doing great for some customers some of the time, some days of the week and some products. It's about doing that every time for every customer, every day of the week. And for us, in every market, we operate across the brand. Second to that is I think in today's age, there is so much focus on relevancy Mm -hmm. and actually doing things that customers see value in. So the old adage of doing mass campaigns of products and discounts to customers who have no affiliation to Mm. that product, no history to that product, is one of the best ways to have customers leave. And that then leads on to the next point around choice. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing and hearing customers more and more now starting to disengage. Yeah, the power is with the customer. I have choice and my choice is now unsubscribe. I can have you in my junk mail and I'll never see you again. Whilst organisations, and many of them still do, and I've experienced this myself, you unsubscribe, but you still seem to get this email that comes in next week. Why is that? 
Um, well, now I think with the use of email and some of the organisations who provide that facility have smartened up the junk email management, if you will. Well, once you become a part of that community, you can continue to send irrelevant content, but it'll be unbeknown to your customer. Mm -hmm. What some brands, I think, haven't realised is that that is actually happening already. So there's this thinking that I'm sending out content and I believe that customers may read it, may see it, but in fact, it's we don't even know it's there. So I think relevance is a big play, not just in data, and I think this permeates right across the channels. Digitally, yes, and this concept of hyper-personalization, so personalizing as you're using it, as you're clicking the button, is the sort of next step in that space. Relevance is critical. Mm-hmm. I think the last one for me is does come a little bit back to the retention space. The choice has only become easier between brands and industries. You know, so if we go back a couple of decades, changing your mortgage to another bank was mind-numbingly painful. Now, there's plenty of people that could do that for you in a heartbeat. Insurance is another industry that has seen that change. And I think with choice becomes a bigger challenge for organisations to be relevant, to make sure it's no longer just about price. I think what we're seeing more and more is customers are actually, and there's a lot of data to support this, they will pay more for experiences that they perceive as valuable, as personalised and as relevant. Yeah, and this is almost going into a behavioural economics space. Such a wonderful topic, yeah. Knowing what causes customers to tick, why they choose to act on something, why is it that many people wake up in the morning and want to check social media before they go to the washroom? (laughs) Yeah, so guilty of that. (laughs) It's also understanding that we as humans are anything but rational. We are emotional creatures by nature, and that drives a lot of that behavior. So, yeah, for me as a CX practitioner, it's a hugely interesting and curious topic that, you know, I think we'll never learn fully, but I think understanding how that relates to how you can engage and have a better, more valuable and productive relationship with the customers you, A, currently serve and, B, hope to serve in the future, mm-hmm. I think is certainly a growth driver, a strategic growth driver for organisations in the future want to compete in the new landscape. Yeah, and actually that in itself is also interesting because I think there's an assumption that insurers should compete on price. And again, speaking personally, I don't really want to compete on price. I have before with my car insurance. I've gone into an aggregator site and I've, I've selected the one that isn't the cheapest, but the name that I know and that I trust. And, I, and I'm obviously not unique in that behaviour. So I think customers will pay more if they perceive the brand to be more trustworthy. Is that your experience too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably the most well-known example of this globally is the iPhone. Mm, By far and away, one of the most expensive phones on the planet. Yet, look at the buying and purchasing behaviour of consumers across the world, including in some of the more developing countries. There is an attachment to a product, a brand, a trust, and a relationship that supersedes the dollar value. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. Yes, I think there's a number of examples like that, and I think you're right. I think the more the more brands learn that the power of a trusting, relevant, personalised relationship will generally, and, and I'm, I am generalising here for a second, supersede the power of price, the more brands who see that and get that and can act upon it will start to lead in their domains and in their industries. Yeah, 
I think it's also worth asking you, how much do the expectations or benchmarks of an average Asian insurance customer differ compared to the expectations or benchmarks of customers within other markets? Or are they different at all? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And as much as I'd love to say I have the answer for it, I think it's one of those you continue to learn more about. Mm. All cultures are different. All customers are different. You know, whether you're in an emerging market where we operate in a WD in a number or in a more mature market where accessibility mm. to certain things are more prevalent, you also have the cultural values and norms and behaviors of each society. The power of the brand is the ability to, and I'm using an old slogan here, but think global, act local. So yeah. the brand across all of the markets we operate, we hope to change the way people feel about the industry. But the local CEOs and the leadership teams need to translate that into what does that mean and how do we enable that in the country we operate? Yeah, I was going to ask you, I mean, if you were to compare within your own markets, do you guys now have a fairly granular idea of who you're speaking to in, let's say, Singapore versus who you're talking to in Vietnam? Yeah, I think we're definitely building on the capability, particularly around data and data for our own customers, mind you on really understanding how some markets you've got more prevalent adopters of new technology and other markets you've got more emotional behaviours, attachments to brands. Mm -hmm. And I think our local leadership teams are really geared up to act upon that and continue to learn more and more and more. And I think, you know, we've got a couple of teams in group, particularly in the digital and data teams, who are empowering our markets with that capability to better understand their customers, better connect with their customers and turn that global, local quote into action mm. and drive that through increased customer acquisition and better customer attention and loyalty. Yeah, so you have full congruence of, of who your customers are. And also, without me, I don't know, getting too deep into an analogy, but you don't feel like your CX strategies need passports to move from market to market. It's not like Brexit. There are some core elements to it, Fiona. So generally, as humans, the trust factor, and particularly over the last 12 to 18 months, has picked up a lot. I mean, this is a trend that we're seeing right across all of the markets. So there are some commonalities. And again, as humans, we act emotionally. We don't act rationally. So I think it's trying to understand and work how that operates within the markets we see. Certainly the trust, the relevance, personalization pieces are still the sort of epicenter, if you will, for being successful in the customer experience space. I've heard it said that something like 80% of companies believe they deliver great customer experiences, but only 8% of customers actually agree with this. What do you think is going on here? <laughs> How long have we got for this question again? Yeah, right. I know. This is zero surprise to me. But it is interesting, though, isn't it, that that perception of boardrooms, I guess. Yeah, it is, Fiona. You know, like this is the Achilles heel for many, many organisations. It's we know what the customer wants and needs, but we don't talk to them. We don't listen to them. We don't spend time understanding them. And it's sometimes referred to, this This will sound a little, a little humorous, the hippo problem, hippo being the highest paid person's opinion. It happens, unfortunately, in many, many brands. And I think coming back to your question, that's why you see such a disparity between the 80 and the 8%. More organisations need to see more value in taking the time to listen and understand customers and realizing that it actually is not a costly or timely exercise mm -hmm. and more importantly 
the power that it has on influencing the culture of the brand and all of the employees inside it is so, so great. And I think the more we see more brands understand that, act upon it, and start to see the fruits of it, the closer those numbers will get over time. Yeah. So let's talk about the big one, the moment of truth claims. Yeah, this is exciting. And I'll connect this to the previous question, actually, Fiona. We've got a great example. So um, our chief marketing officer up in Japan, Marie Tachikawa, or Tachikawa-san, as we refer to her, we engaged a party up there to do exactly what I just mentioned in that previous question. Go and spend time to understand the Japanese consumer pain points. What is it about claims that we're doing well? What aren't we doing well? What would they like to see more of as they have a claims experience with the brand? Mm. Which dovetails into a lot of the work we're doing right now. And claims for me, you're right, is a great proof point. Customers have often been quoted as saying insurance is an industry where it's the easiest thing to have your money taken, but the hardest thing to get your money back. And we've focused with a collective number of teams across the group and markets to really break that psyche and, again, come back and deliver on our vision as a brand. And right now, we've gone live in one of our markets where we are literally enabling the customer to submit a claim and assuming the claim against their policy ticks all the right boxes, get their money back in seconds. And we're having customers experience this today. So I think that's a huge step, and I have to pay credit to a number of teams at the group as well as some of the markets we're working with already who saw that initially as a monumental challenge and went after it and are now seeing real customers get the aspiration we went after. And we're now doing it at scale, so we're rolling that capability across some of our other bigger markets, and very soon – we hope to be able to really socialise that out to the broader group and really show that as a brand, FWD is delivering on their promise. So it's not just about paying the money with claims, but also about following up on some kind of loss and extending that relationship. Obviously, that's a tough call for insurers because of the legacy that all insurers inherit in terms of brand perception. How do you plan on extending the customer relationship at FWD? I'm assuming you that's your plan. Absolutely. I mean, too often we see and the industry sees its products and services transactional in nature, but they forget that people who have suffered chronic illnesses or diseases or total permanent disability, which are aspects of life insurance products, there is a journey they go through. There is a recovery process. There could be months and maybe in some cases years of healing, of recovery, of rehabilitation. I think that space is where insurers haven't played yet. And that's a great opportunity for those who are genuinely serious about the customers that they serve. Follow through with, okay, our transactional duty has been completed and done to the best of our ability. And we care about your longevity and your family's longevity, happiness, health, and well-being. So we will proactively keep engaging you. We believe there are other services out there beyond paying back a claim that give the customers an accurate impression that we truly have their back and we are a trusted partner in their life for their life as a life insurer. Yeah. And will you be using anything in particular to kind of extend that value? Um, Because I guess this is moving into that previous thing we talked about, which is experiences and and trying to create more experiences with your customers outside of the purchase or the claims journey. 
We are. We are working on a, a new platform where we hope that we'll take the the overall engagement with our customers to a new level. You know, and this is looking far beyond our what I would refer to as our bread and butter products and services, buying, using and claiming the products that we serve our customers with and the information that they seek to get through the life of the relationship with FWD. We're stepping that up to offer a whole range of other things. I can't let the cat out of the bag now, as you can probably imagine. It's wonderfully exciting and we have such a broad, collaborative group of leaders across the brand who are coming together to bring this to life. And if anything like the claims work that we've done so far in literally three months from scratch to a finished product that customers now get the experience we aspired for as any indication, then 2021 is going to be a huge year for the brand of FWD. And that's a great way to end this podcast. Troy, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Fiona. So that ends our podcast. And if you'd like to find out more about FWD, you can head to the group website, which is fwd.com. My name's Fiona Mattesini. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.